All right. Well, let's dive into one of those songs of David, Psalm 34. Turn in your Bibles with me, if you would, to Psalm 34. And if you are uh, looking for a Bible, if you didn't bring a Bible with you this morning, there are Bibles in the chairs in front of you. And on that, in that Bible, you can find Psalm 34 on page 488, 488. And if you don't own a Bible, please take one of those home with you as our gift to you this morning before we get going and studying this psalm. Let's pray together. Father, you are our shepherd and you lead us into green pastures and beside still waters. And we say with the psalmist, whom have we in heaven but you, O God? And there is none that we desire beside you. Our flesh and our hearts may fail, O God, but you are our portion forever. And so be that this morning. Come now, Father, send your spirit upon this place and upon all those watching on the live stream. Help us to see and to taste that you are good today. In Jesus' name, amen. I love uh, their description from the Bible Project of the Psalms as poetically retelling the entire biblical story and inviting us into a literary temple. Isn't that cool? Like, I, I so often think of the Bible that way, like I'm, I'm trying to get in, right? And, and instead, it just kind of opens up like this temple that I'm supposed to walk into where, where I can be immersed in God's presence and I can become a part of the retelling of the story of God's kingdom spreading across this earth. Further, we just heard that the Psalms are this place where we may go to meet with our God, sing our story, and say our prayers. The Psalter serving as a prayer book for exiles. I love that. Peter picks up on that theme, right? He, he says, when he writes to the churches, you are sojourners and exiles. And here is our prayer book for exiles designed as a virtual temple, right? That's what we saw, a virtual temple where we can enter the Psalms to meet with God and to hear the entire biblical story of God's kingdom sung back to us in poetry. They're just amazing. And to show you how this works in the whole Psalter. What, what we're going to do this morning is explore one psalm. I'm going to do my best to explore one psalm as a template for the rest of them. It's kind of like when you were in university and you had like a class and then you remember some of those classes you had a lab for it. Psalm 34 is kind of our lab to discover these things that, that we're talking about about the psalms. And we're going to look at Psalm 34 which is a psalm of David whom you saw in the video that we just watched whom, whom the first 72 psalms explore his life and his reign. And what is really beautiful about these psalms that we, what we saw in the video, right, is they are filled with David's lament, confession, and praise. His lament, confession, and praise. And in this way, they are a perfect display of what the entire Psalter is about because they are a perfect display of what our lives are about. Our lives are made up of lament, like you're hearing right now, <laughs> confession, and praise. 
In this way, you're going to see the Psalms are revealed as this, as this wisdom for, for how to live and how to experience the good life, how to live a God-saturated life, how to live a life where you are immersed in God's presence. So let's step into the literary temple of the Psalms this morning to find ourselves in his presence and immerse ourselves in the story of his kingdom. Our stories being swallowed up and a part of his story. To find ourselves in his presence. His presence. Huh. Why would you want to be in the presence of God? Why would you want to be in the presence of God? You heard all of Psalm 34 read at the beginning of this service, a song in this prayer book for exiles like us, which makes up a part of the literary temple, a song which provides multiple answers to that question. Why would we want to be in his presence? And we're going to see a lot of those answers shortly. But I want to hone in on just one one answer found in Psalm 34, 8, actually in the first part of Psalm, 40, Psalm 34, 8. We're going to look at one sentence this morning. We want to be in the presence of Yahweh because Yahweh is good. Yahweh doesn't merely do good. Yahweh doesn't merely provide that which is good. No, Yahweh himself is good. But what does it mean to be good? Why would we want to be in the presence of goodness itself? Well, because that which is good, or think someone who is good, they they exude a kind of pleasantness, right? An agreeableness, a kind of beauty and delight, that which is cheerful and merry. And when you are in the orbit of someone like that, it kind of rubs off on you. It affects you when you are in the orbit of a human that's good, that's agreeable, that's pleasant, that's beautiful, that's delightful. Now imagine a God like that. If the goodness of a human is like a candle, then the goodness of Yahweh is like the sun. But David doesn't merely say Yahweh is good in Psalm 34, 8. Rather, David says, taste and see that Yahweh is good. Well, that's an invitation. But really, it's a command. But I think it's kind of a friendly command. It's not a stern, taste and see that Yahweh is good. It's this invitation into taste and see that he is good. And it's based on experience. It's, It's based on David's experience. He is inviting us into his experience and telling us that it can be ours. And why would we want this? Well, he answers it in the second part of verse 8. Because happy is the person who takes refuge in this Yahweh whom you have tasted and seen is good. You see, David, what David wants for us this morning, and this is why it's really great to come to church, (laughs) because we get to see what God has for us. And what David wants for us this morning is to experience the joy of Yahweh in the midst of our lives, all of our lament and confession and praise. We find a doorway into the Psalter as the literary virtual temple where we may experience God's presence and immerse ourselves in his story. And the pathway to all of that is to taste and see that Yahweh is good. But just what is that 
all about? Well, first, taste. Noun. The sensation of flavor perceived in the mouth and throat on contact with a substance. Taste. Well, the sensation of flavor, if your mouth and throat are working correctly. When our oldest son, Colton, was just a little tyke, we noticed that he couldn't smell anything. It, it happened all of a sudden. I, I think, as, as memory serves, it was because Isabella had a particularly stanky diaper. Can I, can I get an amen from the parents? And we're just kind of going on about it like, oh my God. I mean, have you ever had one of those diapers? Like, this is like ungodly. It's so bad. And, and Colton was just sitting there, you know, la di da, like no big deal. And we're like, dude, can you not smell what we're, sm are you like hard of smell? And we realized we think he is. And Susan got out some like really, so I can't remember, there's this kind of vinegar, maybe it's an apple vinegar, it's like really strong. You wave it under to your nose and you about pass out, right? We waved it under his nose, absolutely nothing. So, of course, off to the doctor we went and, and they took some x-rays of Colton and, and the doctor comes in, you know, you're sitting in that little exam room and they've got those, those boxes that have, you can turn the lights on, right? Like, and, and the doctor throws up a, an x-ray on there and turns on the light and you can see this skull and, there, and there's all these cavities that you can see that are all black and cavity. And he points and he says, now that's a, that's a skull with healthy sinuses. And then he throws up another x-ray and turns the light on behind it and, and it's just solid white. He has such a horrible sinus infection, which was remarkable because he had no other symptoms that you would get with a sinus infection. He had such a horrible sinus infection that he couldn't smell a thing, which meant I learned that day. Did you know that your sense of smell and your sense of taste are connected? I never knew that. So Colton couldn't taste anything really, which explained why he was such a doggone picky, picky eater. Because he was merely deciding whether he liked something or not based on the texture alone. Because he couldn't taste it. And all it took was some medicine to fix this infection. And all of a sudden he could taste everything, but he didn't like anything still. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. Of course, we probably all immediately understand that the kind of tasting that David is talking about here must be different than the tasting Colton was having difficulty experiencing. But the physical is a metaphor for the spiritual. So what does it mean to taste that Yahweh is good? When I went back to seminary from a corporate career to be trained for the calling into ministry, a man who had a tremendous influence on me was John Piper. And, and a man who had a tremendous influence on John Piper was Jonathan Edwards, an old dead guy. I love old dead guys and gals. And John introduced me to Jonathan. And I learned a lot about Edwards, from Edwards, about tasting and seeing. And the first step towards the kind of tasting that we're seeing in Psalm 34 is to establish that it is different than merely an intellectual experience. Now, I'm I'm going to give you a little bit of Edwards, and you've got to stay with me. You've got to focus now. Everybody look at me. You've got to focus because Edwards is like eating steak, not a smoothie. Okay, so he takes chewing. Here's what Edwards has to say. There is a distinction to be made between a mere 
notional understanding wherein the mind only beholds things in the exercise of a speculative faculty. What's that mean? Just thinking about it. There's something more than just thinking about it. So there's, there's a distinction between this thinking and, he says, the sense of the heart wherein the mind, connected to the heart, relishes and feels. So the first is a merely speculative knowledge, the thinking, and the other, where the heart is involved, is sensible, or, or in that old language, it means it's sensed, it's felt. It's a felt kind of knowledge in which more than the mere intellect is concerned. For the heart is the proper subject of what you're thinking about, or the soul as a being that not only beholds, right? So it, it sees and not only beholds the things, but is pleased or displeased towards the thing at which it beholds. Okay, you're tracking with me? Edwards wants us to see that there are two parts of us, our heads and our thinking and our hearts and our relishing. And he wants us to see that they feed each other. They're connected. We can't have one without the other. Edwards didn't come up with this on his own. The Bible talks about this as well, often describing it as the difference between facts, right, like propositions or, or information, na namely about God, between knowing those things intellectually and knowing them spiritually. Kind of what Ezra is talking about, this, this sensing, this, this feeling. We read it in Colossians 1, 9, where Paul says, So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you a complete knowledge of his will, the, the intellectual, and to give you a spiritual wisdom and understanding, a sensing of that knowledge. You see, Paul, Paul is asking for us to have a complete knowledge and a spiritual wisdom to go along with that knowledge. And he, he further points out, this is amazing. This is something, it's not something that we can conjure up. We can't do that. Rather, it is a gift that we must receive from God. He says this in 1 Corinthians 2.14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them. Because why? Because they are spiritually discerned. How many people do you know that can glory in the argumentation, in the propositions, in the intellectual nature of the Bible, but it does not move their hearts uh, because that comes from God alone. Give a spiritual understanding, a sensing that Edwards talks about. You see, it's, it's only by the indwelling of the Spirit of God, just like medicine was present in my son's body to fix an infection that kept him from tasting. It's only by the Spirit that can fix the infection of sin in my body so that I'm made new and capable of understanding something of God, both intellectually in a way that leads to sensing and tasting it spiritually that then brings me peace, contentment, pleasure, satisfaction, and joy. Oh, this is so important. So important. I have made the mistake for so many years in my life, and I, I see that we make the mistake so often in the church. We are so prone. 
when we say, I want to know more of God, I want to know more of God, that, that what we do is we move towards this knowledge of God merely intellectually. We, we, we translate this idea, this longing to know God more into a frantic pursuit of more intellectual knowledge. I need more facts, more information, more proposition, more books to read. I love books. Thinking, thinking that more facts, knowledge, and information will give us a greater sense of his presence, his goodness. But Edwards confronts this knee-jerk response in God's children. Listen to what he says. Spiritual understanding, in other words, tasting, sensing, experiencing, does not consist in any new doctrinal knowledge. Some of you are struggling right now. (laughs) Or in having suggested to the mind any new proposition not before read or heard of. No, the work of the Spirit is to give the mind a new taste or relish of beauty and sweetness. It consists in a sense of the heart of the supreme beauty and sweetness of the holiness or moral perfection of divine things. In other words... It is a kind of tasting given to us that is not physical in the sense of your tongue, but is still physically sensed and felt. Maybe an illustration would help. Consider if I did something kind and loving to my wife, Susan. And in response, she said, Oh, you're so sweet. You're just so sweet. She says it often. Does she mean that I literally taste sweet? Or that what I did was able to be physically tasted as sweet? Well, yes, it was physically tasted in a sense, but not with her tongue. Rather, it was apprehending something about me by what I had done in such a way that she could say, you are so sweet. And what she's trying to communicate right in that moment is is that she's internally tasting and sensing. It's a description of a feeling that she has inside of her that is beyond the intellect. She feels it and tastes it, and it's good. Her affections, her delighting, her relishing, her enjoying, her being satisfied are acts of her soul sensing and tasting. And similarly, the Spirit of God makes us alive and sensible and makes it possible for us to taste Yahweh and all of his perfections as good. You know, this is how, how I explain to people that I love and I enjoy and I delight in reading the Bible and in reading books about the Bible and in reading books about God. How I can say that they bring me joy and delight. How I can say with the psalmist, I can describe them and my experience of God with them as sweeter even than honey and drippings from the honeycomb. 
Why the connections that, that happen between when I take this, when I was reading this morning in Psalm 34 and underlining all of these different phrases and new explosions started to happen between the words and the phrases and it started to burst with joy and I thought, I just want to preach like 10 sermons on this psalm. I can't wait to get to Grace Church this morning. It's why I jump into Jim's office sometimes when I'm studying the text and I'm like, Jim, I just got to show you this. You're not going to believe what I've seen. I've never seen this before. Or it's why when I'm in a restaurant on a Thursday date night, Thursday's date night in our home, and, and we might be with a couple of friends, and I'm talking with them about what I've seen because, you know, I've been studying all the way to Wednesday night, and Thursday I write, and then Thursday night, I mean, if you prick me, I bleed sermon on Thursday night. And I just can't wait to like share a little kernel of what God has showed me. And I got to tell you, I am the same in the restaurant. Like I'm all loud and hand wavy in a restaurant, just like I am here. And people will be looking around and like, what in the world is he on about? And it's like, I'm on about God. Like, cause I'm so excited and it just bursts inside of me. And people are like, how do you see that stuff? Like you study the Bible and you see things that I don't see. I've read that passage before and I haven't seen it there before like you saw it. And you want to know something, y'all? I can take absolutely zero credit for what I see in the Bible. Because it is God who gives me his spirit and, and gives me spiritual taste buds to taste and see these things that are exploding and bursting across the landscape of my mind that then connects with my heart and it explodes in joy and delight and I just can't wait to start talking about it and waving my hands about it. And it's God that does that. I marvel every week. These, these thoughts that he just keeps going, bloop, bloop, like opens the brain pan, like bloop, 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 just puts them in there. It's absolutely amazing. I mean, I mean it takes... I mean, yes, I have to open the book. I have to give the time. I need to ask him to help me. Help me. They're going to be there on Sunday morning. I, I need a word from you. I need clarity on this text. I get on my knees and I plead with him. And so there, there is a little teensy-weensy bit of work that we do to get there and then he just supplies so that I can say, oh God, you're so sweet. It's just so sweet. Friends, this is possible for you. By the gift and grace in God, you are able to taste that Yahweh is good. Now, now there may be someone here or on the live stream right now thinking, what a lame explanation. I mean, I, I'm supposed to believe it just because you say you feel it? <laughs> That's not a very good explanation. What are you feeling? What are you tasting? What are you experiencing? All right. I think it's important here to say, can we just, can we just be honest about, there are some things that we can't fully understand or explain. And that, you guys, That's okay. Think about the feeling that Susan expressed when she thought I was sweet. If you asked her, can you fully explain that? She'd like do her best. But she's like, well, he's just sweet to me. And other people be like, he don't want to go sweet to me. Well, he's sweet to me. You, you can't, listen, you can't fully explain 
any emotion or feeling. You can't fully put your finger on it, right? Like if we try and, like you can't cut someone open and you're like, oh, there was love. Look at it, it's right there next to his, like next to his spleen. There was kindness right over there by the liver. You can't grab it out of someone and kind of analyze and look at it. There's a certain understanding we have, but we can't get to the bottom of it. We can be okay with that. It's placed by someone inside of us. And as long as we're at it, can we, can, we just fully, can we just go along and admit that we can't fully explain intellectual understanding either? I mean, can you tell me how I can... Think, think about thinking. Have you ever stopped while you're thinking and thought, it's so weird that I'm thinking right now and now I'm thinking about what I'm thinking about? And you get like in this circle that's just like inception and you just keep going down and down and down. I mean, can you fully explain to me how I can have a memory from when I was six years old, how that, that, how that has somehow rested on this organic matter inside of my skull and I can withdraw it and look at it and see it as clear as it was yesterday? Can, can you fully explain how that intellectual thought is happening in my mind? Of course you can't. I mean, neurologists maybe can come close, but we can't fully explain it. I was listening to a song this morning by rapper Andy Minio. Yes, I listen to rap on Sunday mornings. The song Clarity. And he says this, if you have to have finite answers to infinite questions, uh, you ain't gonna move. One final note on tasting. If you are not currently tasting that Yahweh is good, ask him. Just ask him. Ask him for this gift and I believe that he will supply the gift of spiritual sensing of the beauty and sweetness found only in him and once you find that beauty and sweetness in him, you will find it in all of his gifts and all of your life. And maybe, you'd, maybe you're here this morning and you'd say you'd, you've never really experienced tasting Yahweh this way. Maybe you're like my son Colton And part of why this Christianity and Bible and church thing hasn't been very palatable or desirable to you is because the taste buds of your soul need a spirit-sourced antibiotic to enliven them so that you relish, delight, treasure, and prize that Yahweh is good. And listen, if that isn't true of you, you may not be a Christian. And I don't say that lightly. I say it because I want to free you. Christianity shouldn't be a burden to you. It shouldn't bring shame to you. It shouldn't result in guilt for you. Christianity should make you happy. How happy are those who take refuge in this tasting good Yahweh? We're supposed to be the happiest, most delighted, most satisfied spiritual foodies in the world. We should be Instagramming the feasts that we eat on in the Word every day along with the good food we're eating. So ask Him. He'll supply. Part two of the first part of verse eight. Taste and see that Yahweh is good. Okay, so we've explored a bit what it means to taste that He's good. Now there's this other sense that David wants to awaken regarding the experience of the presence of God in this literary temple of Psalm 34. What it means to have our eyes opened, right? To see, because maybe you're like me when I read Psalm 34, 8, how do I see a God you can't see? Yahweh doesn't have a body like his son Jesus does. So 
See that Yahweh is good. Well, how do I do that? You can't see him. I, I have a problem with my eyes. That makes me unable to see clearly. You're all very fuzzy. Maybe many of you out there are like me. Ra- raise your hand if you're like me. Like you, just raise them up there. Come on. All you eye disabled, don't raise them up and leave them up there for a second so we can like, look at all these people that are just, you know, imperfect. <laughs> and as a result of this imperfection in my eyeballs, I, I have to wear these. To wear glasses. Well, there you are. So I can see properly. Now, when I first started wearing glasses, I bought them from a company called Warby Parker. Maybe some of you are familiar with Warby Parker. I think it's an absolutely fascinating company. It's why I bought glasses from them when I first needed glasses. They, they were started in two, 2010 by just four guys. So four guys got together with an idea. They had $2,000, and they wanted to sell glasses to people in first world developed countries And as they sold those glasses, they wanted to use those sales to fund giving free glasses to people in third world developing countries. According to Warby Parker, there are around 3 billion people in the world who do not have access to eye care. 3 billion who do not have access to this. And that almost a billion of those people are in third world nations and the severity of their vision impairment means they cannot effectively, right? When you can't see, you can't effectively learn, read, or be educated, which means they can't get a good job. And even if they could get a good job, they couldn't work. They couldn't ride a bike or drive a car to get to that place all because they simply need a pair of glasses. So imagine if you are in here And you have, you know, some of us have the really intense prescription. Okay, like you're the Coke bottle bottom dude in the room, right? Like if you you take, so everyone who has glasses, take your glasses off for a second. So so those of you who are sight enabled, I guess it won't work, but imagine life like this. Reading? No. Movies? No. No. No driving? No working, no going to a class, no watching a lecture, none of it, simply because you have something wrong with your vision and you can't see. In the superscription of this psalm, we see that it says, look up, look up at the beginning of the psalm, right there by the number 34 in your Bible. It says, of David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. You can read the whole story in 1 Samuel. David was on the run. He had people tracking him down, keeping him from the throne. It was not a good time for David. It was a decidedly awful time. And at one point, he finds himself before Abimelech, the king of the Philistines. Yes, those dudes from whom came a giant that David had killed. And he is fearing for his life with the Philistines. And so he literally acts insane. He, he's letting spittle like drool down in his beard. He's, he's crawling around, speaking nonsense just so he can survive. So they won't kill him because they don't think he's a threat. Now I want you to picture David many years later after that moment in his life. He's got a liar, maybe, like Ron's mandolin. He's plucking away at a few notes and 
And he starts to think about a song. A song starts to come to him. And so he starts to write it down. And, and you, you have to remember that this David who's plucking on this lyre and writing this song is, is a believer who's already tasted that Yahweh is good. He's tasted that. The Spirit has made him alive and saved him. And, and now David is realizing something as he looks back on his experience and on his life from which he's drawing the lyrics for this song. As he ponders the events and wants to tell the story, he sees something profound going on in his own story. He sees how his story is all wrapped up in the larger story of God's kingdom. And most importantly, he sees that his story has not merely been about him. <laughs> He's not even the main character of his story. You see, David, probably then and certainly now, as he writes this song, sees God. He sees God's actions. He sees God's heart. He sees God's compassion. He, he sees God's rescue. He is able to trace the footsteps of God right alongside his. God's presence, even as he ran for his life. And just what does David see, family? What does he see about Yahweh, even though he cannot literally see Yahweh? How is Yahweh, in other words, revealed in David's life? Well, as I listen to this song, I found at least 15 different aspects of Yahweh revealed in this amazing song. What David sees of Yahweh. And, and I want to show you what I see of Yahweh through David's scene of Yahweh. Okay, you ready? 15 different aspects. He sees Yahweh as worthy of constant at all times and in all circumstances. Think of that now. All circumstances on the run for your life circumstances, have to act in sane circumstances that Yahweh is worthy of praise in the midst of his pain and suffering. He sees Yahweh is the only boast of the downcast, afflicted and miserable, who gives fresh gladness, joy, and merriment. He sees Yahweh is worthy of exaltation, of raising up and lifting high and of being magnified, of being made great in size and value and strength. He sees Yahweh answers and delivers us from all of our fears, all of our wanderings and lostness and waywardness and running. He sees Yahweh creates a glow of joy and well-being on the face of his children. Those feelings shining so brightly and radiantly that they will never again be ashamed or disappointed or saddened or confused and hang their heads in shame. He sees Yahweh, hears the poor in spirit who cry out to him and that he saves us out of all our troubles. He sees Yahweh sends his angel who is either God himself or maybe a manifestation of God, namely the son of God as the angel of God. He sees Yahweh sends his angel and surrounds us and fills us with awe at the sight and reality and sense of it because in his protection, he has delivered us. He sees Yahweh is a refuge in whom you do not merely find protection from harm, but divine favor and happiness. Do you see the distinction? 
He sees Yahweh is worthy of our awe and our reverence. He sees that here is one whose banner is worth bending the knee for. Here is the one who will reward that posture with an abundance of all good things. He sees Yahweh is a father. He cares about his children and he cares for his children. And he does so by opening their minds to the need and benefit of standing in wonder before the massiveness of his power. Do you remember being, do you remember being a little kid and, and thinking about the massiveness and the strength and the power of your daddy could just lift you up and throw you up in the air? He sees Yahweh like that, strong and powerful father. He sees that Yahweh never takes his eyes off of us. He is always watching, always seeing, always perceiving. He is always moving to and fro throughout the whole earth, looking to give strong support to those who love him. His ears are always open, gently saying, shh, shh, to the rest of creation. Can you, can you hear Yahweh? Quiet now. My kids are talking to me, and I need to listen to them. He will hear the softest cry, the quietest sob, and the loudest yelp of anguish. He sees that Yahweh sets his face against the wicked to bring them down from their lofty perches as they rain down harm on his children so that one day the wicked will be gone to be remembered no more. He sees Yahweh doesn't just hear, he doesn't just see, but moves in delivering action, saving his children from all of their troubles. He sees Yahweh cares he cares. He does not stay at arm's length from the messiness of the messed up, the failings of the failure, the loser types like you and me. He moves near. He moves near to those whose hearts are breaking. He reaches into our very souls, the core of where we are, he sees how our hearts have been crushed by shame and sorrow and grief and a thousand other weights, the whole of who we are, pulverized into the dust from which we were made and he breathes new life into us so that we are remade, restored, and saved. He sees Yahweh is aware of our circumstances, takes notes of our many misfortunes and diverse disasters. He snatches us out of them by the scruff of our necks like a mama puppy grabbing the scruff of the neck of a little puppy in trouble. And he does it every single time. So that when you feel you are being pulled apart, limb from limb, fractured by forces that have come against you to destroy you, he sees Yahweh will turn those very misfortunes and disasters on those who brought them upon you. He will release and set you free. He will restore your life. That is just some of what David sees. That is who David sees. And he sees in all of that that Yahweh is good. Do you see him? Do you? Friends, family, brothers, sisters, please know that this scene is just as dependent on the Spirit's work as was the tasting. 
For we have an enemy, the evil one, who keeps men and women, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, from seeing the light of the good news of the glory of the Messiah. Our blindness of the wonders of Yahweh and his work will only be overcome if, 2 Corinthians 4, 6, God has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. What was true for Peter must be true for us. Do you remember what Jesus told Peter about seeing Jesus as the Messiah? Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, that I am the Son of God by looking at my body, but the Father who is in heaven gave you eyes to see. Friends, it is this simple. We must say with the psalmist, open my eyes that I may behold wonders. Do it, God. Maybe you are here this morning and this week and you've been feeling overwhelmed and weak and frail and you don't feel like you can accomplish anything when you see the work in front of you or the circumstances that you are in. You can't see through them to God. And I get that. There are so many times in my living that I have become a functional atheist. <laughs> Anybody else? Like I just, I just lose sight of God. And all of my problems all of a sudden become way bigger than him, which is bananas. And David has written this song for he wants for us to experience the joy of Yahweh, right? We open the book and what did we see in that video? We, we saw that we step into the Psalms and they just display, it's this, this prayer book of the exiles. Can you throw that slide up there? It's the prayer book in the songbook for the exiles that are like us. We, we step into this in the darkness and the rainy situation of our circumstances. We open up this book and we experience God's presence and we immerse ourselves in his story. And the pathway is to taste and see that he is good. Because more than anything, David wants us to see that God's got this. More importantly, that God's got us. That he is drawing us together. Worship team, would you come up? He's drawing us together. Right? This is what, this is how David starts. Come, bless Yahweh. Come, put his praise in your mouth. Come, magnify him with me. Come, let us exalt his name together. Because it's so much sweeter when we experience things together, isn't it? Taste and see that Yahweh is good. Listen, friends, family, can, can you imagine what would be possible for God to do with a people like this? That taste and see that Yahweh is good. You know that company that I told you about that, make, that made my first pair of glasses, Warby Parker? Do you know what they've done in 13 years? just 13 years, a company whose sole purpose is to give physical sight to people so that they can see things that they couldn't previously see, four men with $2,500, they have supplied free eyesight and examinations to 13 million people in over 50 countries and they run a company that is valued at $7 billion dollars. Seven billion. And those are just four dudes with some glasses. 
Can you imagine what God could do through us? Through us? We offer the world the free and priceless gift of spiritual sight and spiritual tasting. We offer the world a man. A man who said, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be filled. And then he opened their minds to understand this scripture. And Jesus is the fulfillment of all that we see in Psalm 34. And oh may he open our minds to understand that, that Jesus is the bread of life by which we taste eternal life. Jesus is the person through whom we see all the world and all of our future and the way things are going to be. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Oh, taste and see that Jesus is good. Come and take refuge in him. Hallelujah.